Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Orla Shanahi of VoxGig, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, I sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community. My aim is to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you are an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to our sponsor, Simplecast.com, the first and last word in podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Vox Gig podcast. My guest today is Bonnie Williams. Bonnie is an Amsterdam-based American-European. She's a dialogue and performance coach for actors, public speakers, and other professionals. And she also trains non-native speakers of English. She is herself an actor. She's coached TEDx speakers, and she's recently been featured in Marie Claire magazine. Bonnie, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Erla. Thank you. You're a very busy woman. So how about we start with your business? It's called The Whole Package. Tell me about the work you do with coaching public speakers and actors. How does that all work? Sometimes I ask myself the same question. (laughs) Um, Let's see. I basically work on a one-to-one basis with speakers. So people find me and these are professional speakers from very different walks of life. So I have okay. people who are startups. I work a lot with film producers and directors. I work with, with writers, designers, technical experts, uh, researchers, and so forth. There are a few main paths that people take. And some people okay. are already professional speakers who <clears throat> have different kinds of Uh, engagements. They're either keynote speakers or they do lectures or they have sort of a repertoire of how they speak. Okay. And they want to improve or change or develop in any kind of way. Other people are aspiring TEDx speakers who come to me specifically for that. And what I do a lot of is um, pitch coaching for either Mm -hmm. startups or or producers, people looking either for funding or for co-production or partners. Okay. So those are the individuals that find me. Uh, On the other side of things, I'm called in by certain event organizers. Yes. And TEDx event organizers to come and coach for their speakers that have already been chosen. Yes. And when someone contacts you looking for help or um, someone contacts you looking for help on someone else's behalf, if it's an agent for an actor or whatever. So how does it go from there? Take me through the steps that you go through to uh, take someone to the level of speaking that they're looking for. So I always try to start with like at least a half hour, just general intake, a consultation. Okay. And basically it's to find out what people are looking for, what they're struggling with, how I could possibly help them, what their time frame is, what their budget is, all that kind of stuff. It's really specific. It's everything I do is tailor-made to the individual. Okay. So even if a third person or, or a middle person, agent, whatever, calls me, the next step is always a direct contact. Right. Okay. And based on what the needs are, I offer a sort of a 
a working method, a program, a trajectory that we can go on. Mm -hmm. So if it's for one specific event, then at least three times that we get together, that's what I enjoy in any case. Okay. I enjoy developmentally with speakers as opposed to one-shot deals. Okay. Yeah. So you can build a relationship? Absolutely. Okay. I've read in your profile, Uh you say, I've coached, (laughs) no, it's okay. It's something good. I've coached a range of individuals from technical experts to CEOs to stand-up comedians. To me, that sounds really exciting and fascinating. Have you had any high-profile clients? A lot of my high-profile clients don't like to make it known. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I understand that. But I've worked with foreign actors for the dialogue coaching that I do. Yes, yes. With professional actors, let's say European actors who play in English-speaking international films. My forte is not necessarily dialect coaching in that sense. Yeah. Help actors who are non-native English speakers, help them act in English because that's my background. Okay. How to use the language. And it's, it's so amazing to see how we all use the language differently. Even there's a difference between British or Irish or Scottish or yeah. native speakers and, and Americans and how we use it. And also how European English speakers use the language. So that's the kind of work that I do with those high profilers. Ah, the secret ones. Okay, well, I won't press you any further. That sounds really fascinating. So in a way, you're would it be right to say you're a cross-cultural communication expert? Because obviously with language, it's not just the words, it's the whole cultural context. Absolutely. Let's say you have a European actor who wants to uh, act in English. They're bringing with them a whole package of cultural experiences that may not transfer to the English-speaking world. Can you tell us about how that side of things works? Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's so much a part of what affects people's confidence in not only in acting, but also in public speaking and speaking, yeah. also in pitching and anything that you do internationally. I did study mm-hmm. intercultural communication. Yeah, okay. I actually did because I worked for many years applying theatrical methodology to communication, okay. to the corporate world and to different things, so to enhance communication. Yeah. And part of that experience was also understanding cultural and intercultural communication and realizing how one can be most effective and have the most impact upon their audience. Yeah. Be that an individual or a group of people Mm -hmm. and how you have to adjust and how you have to take that into consideration. I love that. Yeah, it's fascinating, I think, for anyone who's studied languages or or actors. Obviously, it's their job to make a connection and public speakers. Um, Do you have any examples, um, any embarrassing examples or funny examples of that kind of cross-cultural thing? Because that can go very wrong, right? If you're not prepared, if you're not doing it right. I wish I I knew you were going to ask me this and then I could have racked my brain. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It happens all the time. But I, I mean... There's always blunders. Yeah. I mean, I'm based in the Netherlands. So I see this happening, for example, a lot of times in the Netherlands. The English here is fantastic. So the level of it is absolutely high. However, a lot of Dutch people, when they speak English, they tend to literally translate their expressions and things like that Ah, and and think that it's just translate. So Ah, there are Dutch expressions that they translate into English using the English words in an international environment where the people don't know what they're talking about. So that, I mean, it's not a specific example, but that happens a lot. Yeah. And that can be so funny, can't it, when that goes 
a little awry. Um, I used to live in Germany. And just one thing that pops to mind for me is, you know, in English, we have the expression, I'll cross my fingers for you. You know, good luck. I'll keep my fingers crossed. In German, they have a similar expression. But if you translate it literally, it comes through as I'll press my thumbs. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And if a German person translates that directly into English, it makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, and it, that's hysterical. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So you get that. And you also get the gestures. Ah. I work with some Indian people and, you know, yes means no and no means yes. So Is that with the head? If you, if you nod, it means no. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Wow, that must be so hard to untrain yourself and retrain. Yeah, and very often I work with Italians who have gestures for everything and they know what that means, but that doesn't necessarily translate either. Absolutely. Those are the funny things. But it's also the way that people present themselves very often. I mean, Brits are known for talking around issues. Yes. And we know exactly what that means when we talk around. Yes. And Dutch are known for being very direct. Mm-hmm. So the clash of the titans very often. Kind of fascinating to see how to maneuver and in those situations. Let's go back a bit, Bonnie, and <laughs> explore how you arrived at where you are today. Where did you grow up? What kind of family? Uh, what ambitions? did you have as a child and as a younger person? Let's go way back. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I drank from the fountain of youth. I'm actually over a hundred years old. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up, I was born and raised in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I was a child actress. I actually started at the age of seven. Wow. It was in my blood. By the time I was 17, 18, 19, I had already done professional and, and semi-professional production doing theater. And I had my own theater company in my early 20s. Oh. Artistic director. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just stop you for one moment? Sorry, because that all sounds so interesting. How did you um, get into acting at age seven? What was the impetus for that? There was this wonderful man named Jack Farrell who, who opened up a little after school workshop, a weekend workshop cafe. It was a black box little studio that he had and he offered acting classes for kids. But actually, that's interesting because I was before that we had, I just remember this, we had after school production. And my very first production was Mary Poppins. And then I was Michael Banks. Oh, <laughs> after school productions. That was like, it was a, an interest. It was fun. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I loved it. Okay. And the thing that I loved the most about it, I think with like, well, besides being on stage and, and learning the craft, eventually was the community. Yes. That was what I loved about doing theater anyway. Okay. And so you were saying then that continued up through your teens and in your early twenties, uh, what happened at that point? Theater company in Boston. I was in Boston. Oh, you were in Boston at this point. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I came here. Uh, but before that, I had already been in lots of theater productions and film and stuff like that. And then I came here thinking mm-hmm. I would be here for... Here being Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Thinking mm-hmm. I'd be here for a year. Right. And how did you come to end up in Amsterdam? That was sort of an adventure. Yeah. It was love. Okay. What kids think is love. <laughs> I, I met um, a Dutch man boy on a holiday and I came okay. to visit him. And I actually, that didn't work out all that well. But when I first got here, I got quite involved in the, there was an English speaking theater community here. There were lots of artists. It was very bohemian. And it was like after a year, I just thought, hey, I just got here and um, and that continued and that continued. And I ended up staying and staying and staying and building. Okay. Life. Right. And you built your life in Amsterdam from that point. 
I did. And at the beginning of being here, we, there was English-speaking theater, that mm-hmm. the speaking theater community, but my preference was also to be on the screen. And to be honest, the, the professional film and television industry, I've done things here. You can look at my IMDb page. Mm-hmm. But being a foreigner um, has always been like um, a restriction. Oh, okay. Right. Of really, you know, developing a very, very steady professional career. Okay. So I got into using my acting skills and theater craft to enhance communication within organizations and, and institutions and all that. So I did trainings and anything an actor can do. Well, in the business world, mm-hmm. is what I did for many, many years. And then I got frustrated with these short-term tr- skill training things like you know go into an organization give a workshop about mm. you know giving feedback and then think that you've changed the world or changed these people's lives and it got really frustrating to me so i started my own empowerment program for young professionals wow and that was called express and impress and it was a six-month program and this was like in 2011 mm-hmm and I had like a small group of people and this went on for a few years that I continued with different groups and we did all different kinds of things. I had a whole program developed. So it was a personal development program. Okay. And that developed into not so young professionals and then all the professionals. Okay. <laughs> and then that, that metamorphosized into team development and intercultural communication and then organizational development and kind of exploded into these big, big learning programs for corporate and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided that it was time to go back to my roots and get back to what I enjoy doing best, which is to help people really get out there and be the best that they can be. Sounds corny, but that's what I do. (laughs) do. Obviously, acting involves an awful lot of speaking, public speaking. Do you find in your training of public speakers um, and aspiring public speakers that you can apply a lot of the speaking skills you learned in acting that they transfer well to people who are specialized in public speaking? I hesitate to answer this like that. I'll tell you why. (laughs) First of all, I really don't focus on skill training. I don't train anybody. I developed personal distaste for that word, but that's based on my own experience. And coaching is also kind of tricky in this day and age. But what I truly believe is that skills are the outside layer mm-hmm. of getting your message across. So basically what my approach is, is really like, who are you? What is your message? And how do you get it across? So a lot of the work that I do starts off on connecting speakers to their message okay. and looking at what kind of impact do you want to have in the world? Why are you here? Why are you telling this message? Even if it's a technical stuff, yeah. it's not about the information. It's about what the information does or can do. It's about vision. It's about yeah. values or, and all that. And I find very often when people connect to that in themselves and on that level, a lot of the other stuff comes naturally okay it's easier to project to stand to feel comfortable when you know what you're doing and you know what you're talking about that's interesting yeah i mean that's become kind of like a passion of mine actually okay and it feels like it's sustainable so that of course if somebody has got it but then needs to learn how to project or use the stage more that comes okay that's the icing on the cake actually okay and um 
for those of us who are non-actors, we associate acting with things like passion, drama. I'm sure that's quite simplistic, but you know, that would be, I suppose, the public perception. So when you're training somebody, let's say, like a CEO, for example, somebody from a, a business background, I'm just trying to imagine how that works. You're applying a more creative perspective to business, which can be perceived as a little bit dry and boring. So how does that all fit together? That's a good observation because I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and thinks what I do is dry and boring. <laughs> <laughs> so I try to, to connect with that part of the person. I mean, most people really have a connection or have a reason why they do things or talk about the things or, you know, even when you're talking technical development or innovation, yeah, it's not out of context. Right. So what I try to do is find the person's context and connection to what they do, why they do it and where that comes from. And I often advise or work with people to get that across. Okay. I mean, and everybody has that because I often think if you're just speaking to relay information, why are you there? Why are you doing it? So, I mean, you can just send the information or make it available some a different way. Yes. So it's trying to understand why, why it's you, why here, why now, why are you doing this? And when people can connect to that part, that, that's the human side of it. Okay. Yeah. So you don't have to be an actor yeah. to do that. <laughs> you do have to be human though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a really interesting perspective. So it's not, uh, yeah. Like you say, if you want to just communicate information, you could send an email, right? Yeah. So when it comes to public speaking, you're bringing yourself as a whole person. The whole package. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. Let's just go back to acting for a second. It's a career that most people find intriguing. You know, we've all been so exposed to Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. That's what most non-actors <laughs> think of when they think of acting. Um, it's also known as a career that can be so difficult to earn a living, a full living from. And you've been hugely successful at branching out and making a second related career. So... Would you have any advice for maybe younger people listening um, who are thinking of making a career in some performing arts, doesn't even have to be acting, to actually make, a, you know, to have a good chance of making a living out of it, of making a good career out of it? I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> I like your honesty. <laughs> well, actually, I do have some advice. If you really want to make a living out of it, it's not only work on your craft, but work on your networking skills. because. I think that most of the time, people who have actually infiltrated the mainstream, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily how good they are. Sometimes it is very much, but it's also who they know mm -hmm. and how they've uh, maneuvered in that territory. And, you know, and I don't mean to use people. Sure. Although sometimes if you have to. <laughs> if you have to. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's a business too. Yes. And like all business, it's not only what you know, it's who you know, and it's how you leverage that. Right. So, I mean, maybe that's the not so romantic side sure. of it, but I do think that's really important. It's don't underestimate that is, is probably what my advice would be. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, it's great to hear it stated out like that because sometimes, you know, when in any creative career, including public speaking, because there's a lot of creativity in that. Yeah, it can be just as much about your personal connections as what you do when you're up there at the podium. Yeah. Um, so you think that applies just as much to public speaking, which isn't necessarily a performing art, or is it? <laughs> it's not really <laughs> yeah. a performing art. No, it's not. But it's, it's absolutely that. I mean, I have a lot of speakers who also are struggling with getting exposure. 
Yeah. And that's the big thing that I say, network, get out there, go find out who's doing what. And one of the things that I also teach coach uh, pitching, but I call it cocktail pitching. Ah, that sounds very nice. (laughs) I have a feeling it involves a lot more hard work than you might think from the title. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, like, I do a lot of work with the film industry and things happen at festivals or or even speakers and and other startups at conferences. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the connections that you make, you make it while you're standing at the bar getting a drink or, or sitting or just informal. So it's about being able to really present yourself in a way that you can engage with people and that people are interested in you without necessarily like, you know, forcing your idea on somebody or like telling your whole story, but really connecting. It's about connecting. And that's what networking is. Even when you expand to beyond cocktail pitching and beyond pitching, but when you're trying to develop your career or get more exposure, I think it is about, you know, where do you connect? Where do you think you fit in? Where can you add value? Mm-hmm. And how can you get involved with other people who would appreciate that and, and can be reciprocal with that? I don't think it's all really about getting ahead. That's not really what I purport. It's more like making connections that are meaningful. Okay. That's making me think of in the tech startup world, uh, there's the elevator pitch, mm-hmm. which to be honest, has always scared me a little because it sounds so, oh, I don't know, in your face, you know, like you're talking at someone rather than talking with someone. So your your phrase there, the cocktail pitch sounds much nicer, less threatening, for want of a better word, you know, that you're literally just talking to someone that you might have met at the bar rather than capturing them in an elevator. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have a problem also with the elevator pitch. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the purpose of a pitch is... Not to like spread your guts out or talk, get your idea out there. It's to actually gain permission to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. It's to get somebody interested. It's to engage. It's for, it's to get somebody to say, Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. Or, yeah. Oh, that makes me think or something. So I think in the past, the elevator pitches that I've seen and heard is like in five seconds and 30 seconds, tell me why you're better than somebody else. Yes. I have a hard time with that. I can't do that either. Yeah. So a lot of times cocktail pitching is just saying to somebody, oh, wow, what did you think of that film we just saw? Or I like your shoes or whatever it is. It's just about making a connection. Yeah. So it's making it more like just an everyday conversation, really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's also showing interest in somebody else. Yeah. Again, coming back to the connection. Bonnie, it's been so interesting talking to you. Uh, I've certainly learned a lot and I hope that people listening will too remind us again of the name of your business it's the whole package the whole package and the website is thewholepackage.nl for the netherlands netherlands okay listen thank you so much again for joining us today best of luck with the future of your business and it's been thank a pleasure you. it's been a pleasure too thank, thank you. you goodbye bye-bye Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, 
not especially easy to master, but it is a skill like any other and one you too can learn. Visit voxgeek.com speakers to subscribe to the newsletter. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review. That helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact us directly, you can reach out to us on Twitter at VoxGig, V-O-X-G-I-G. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let us know and we'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check our sponsor, simplecast.com, who helped make this podcast possible. <laughs>